You are now listening to the African Growth Opportunities Podcast, where we share opportunities for Africans both in diaspora and on continent to develop, progress, and succeed in today's changing world. I'm your host, Udochi KK. And on today's episode, we will be talking to, to Ifonanya Wanonyiri, founder of Odiabiala. Welcome to the show, Ifonanya. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Great. So, Odiabiala is such an interesting name. Is there a story behind naming your podcast that? Mm-hmm. So, the full name is Odiabiala, an Igbo podcast, because I think without that, it makes it for people outside of, like, Igbo people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hard to know, like, what is so what is Odiabiala, since that in and of itself has great significance in our culture. Definitely. Um, so... I'm definitely still a learner, and Aji in the Igbo culture and a lot of actual cultures like south of like the Niger has such incredible significance that I I know I won't be able to do it justice explaining, but I can say what I've learned so far. Mm-hmm. Um, so Aji, something that I've learned is that it's one of the greatest ways a Igbo person can extend greetings to their guests when they come. But it's also, like, a thing of communion. So even, like, in the Catholic Church, like, your communion with God is actually, like, a a communion between people who are living, but also a communion between our ancestors. Um, It's just incredible. There's actually a book by um, Dr. Mo Ene, who's one of my, like, He's a family friend, but he's also a professor, and he's like an Igbo linguist. He's, he's a linguist in general. He can speak many languages, but he's very knowledgeable in Igbo, and he breaks down really simply. Oji, so I'm, I'm really excited to read it further, but in it he goes into great depths about it. But I think what really was powerful to me about it was that the idea of communion both with, between the living and the dead and um, a way of honoring our ancestors. But in terms of choosing it for the podcast, one, I feel like the podcast serves people in the diaspora, people wherever they are in the world who hope to, even in Nigeria, who hope to be able to become more conversant in Igbo. And so I know that any one of us are familiar with Aji or Kola Nut. So it was one thing that I feel like kind of connected all of the listeners, but then it also has a significance in that it can, kola nut in our culture can only be blessed in the Igbo language, so I feel like the fact that so many of us cannot speak the language and then another, a greater amount cannot even understand it, it definitely signifies a great, like a huge thing we'd be losing in our culture if we don't start making efforts to learn our language. Mm-hmm. So that's like a really long-winded way. <laughs> no, no, it makes absolute explaining. sense. Like, so what was the name of that uh, that book about Aji in that you were mentioning earlier? So my, can you just remember? So remind the us name of, of it is Cola Nut Food for the Gods or Food for Gods. Right now. Um, so I have an older copy of it, and, and and which is currently not being sold, but a newer copy will be sold in 2019. So I'll, I'll definitely, like, I can text you and let you know and also um, post about it when it does come out. 
but I'm really excited because it's like a simple read, but it just goes into so much depth about Augie, and it's, it's pretty incredible. Wow, that's, that's really amazing. Yeah, let us know because I would love to put the link in the show notes. Oh, um, definitely. So, so really what I try to do on this show is to open the minds of Africans both on continent and in the diaspora to opportunities in today's changing world. And I found your mm-hmm. podcast super interesting specifically because it really gets into – uh, a part of the African culture that it really comes into a, a really important issue in African culture today, which is mm-hmm. the the preservation of you know traditional mm-hmm. culture, traditional rich uh, uh, symbols and language and stories, um, and making them relevant again. And so mm-hmm. I so I found your story super interesting and, and your, your, your efforts and what you're trying to accomplish super interesting because although the past guests of this show have been predominantly uh, entrepreneurs who, uh, and, and we talked about like how um, people, African people in, on continent or in diaspora um, can, you know, connect with these entrepreneurs or start their own businesses Mm-hmm. You did something very unique, which is starting your business specifically around a language and a language in Africa that could be considered that could be considered not necessarily relevant these days. I know that a lot of people, even in Nigeria, are opting not to raise their children speaking Igbo. So, can you tell us a little bit more about? What inspired you to create this Evo podcast and about yourself also? Okay. So as you said, my name is Isnaya Wamnoyeri, and I am currently in graduate school for physical therapy. Um, since I was, like, a little girl, I can, for as long as I can remember, I, I, like, asked my parents to ask me to teach me Igbo. So I remember when I was younger, I would have a little notebook, and I would try and, like, write down words, and I would just ask my parents, teach me Igbo, teach me Igbo. And that helped me in the sense of, like, when they would say things, I would ask them, what does that mean, what does that mean? And it helped me build my comprehension. Mm-hmm. But, and I had for the longest, I thought that the comprehension that I had with them which is kind of a whole other story because Igbo is such a diverse language with so many different dialects. Like it's actually incredible that even being able to hear my parents like understand them did not mean that I could understand other people's Igbo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so I had for a long time thought that my comprehension that I had with my parents would translate into being able to speak. And when I actually finally started trying to speak it towards like the end of undergrad, mm-hmm. I it was horrible like it was so so bad um I know the feeling I definitely know the feeling (laughs) I've been you know you you get self-conscious about these things but it's a lot of people's story and 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 it's and it's good to share because at the end of the day like we're all in this together and trying to like right you know you know keep the language and 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 preserve it in the sense that like we're all speaking it and Usually I feel like when, when children are learning to, to, to talk for the first time at two years old or whatever, you know, we don't say, oh, you shouldn't be speaking like that because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. that's how they learn. Like they, they keep trying. Exactly. And so um, totally been there. I know the feeling. Even when I was in Nigeria, <laughs> even just to say a little thing, it was like so, you know, 
like it, it, it a task. You. Yeah, it's a task. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. It's intimidating. Yeah, but, it's nerve wracking. It's kind of like it can be very discouraging, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, what caused you to like really keep pushing? I mean, I just feel like. <laughs> I feel like my Igbo identity has played such, or like Igbo culture plays such a profound role in my identity, but then not feeling fully equipped to participate in the culture, which like in talking about like Aji being, being so meaningful in our culture, and I can't, if I were to ask to be, well, men typically bless it, <laughs> but mm-hmm. if I were to listen to it, maybe I can't hear what the full prayer or you know, just like not being able to fully participate in something that I feel like has shaped so much of my identity just didn't seem right. And I think, too, just being able to think more about like, and I mean, I, I thank God for like the blessing of being exposed to different things and seeing different cultures. But, like, I studied abroad in Switzerland where they have three major, four major languages and in one country. And just the way that everybody could speak or understand certain things or signs when you get into one area or in that country's language and then just the respect of, like, the language and the culture diversity in one country. And then I think about not so much Nigeria because that's a Nigeria as a country is a whole other story. But just mm-hmm. the fact that you see Europeans and how they hold on to their culture and their language, it kind of makes me wonder why with Africans we've been so conditioned to feel like ours don't matter. Mm. So um, basically just yeah, I feeling think like, like – mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think of even the, the Roman Empire – which is just such a huge mythology, or not mythology, but it's a huge part of Eurocentric history. Um, mm-hmm. And they cling to it. You know, their people were literally wearing loincloths, which, which is what we, you know, what we call rapas. You know, I, like that's how mm-hmm, I feel mm-hmm. like. The, what, the day that I realized that, a, that, a, that the loincloths of, of ancient Rome are li- literally rapas, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that the day I realized that, I was like, yo, this is ridiculous. Like why are we Yeah, so totally. Ourselves? The the way that we've been conditioned to think about ourselves and our history and our culture is something that I think we can no longer make excuses for accepting it. I feel yeah. like especially with how much there's globalization and, and people so can just be so connected. Mm-hmm. Right that we can no longer be okay with accepting this, like, inferiority at all. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I'm, I'm right on that train with you. So you continue to push back and you, I mean, push, push past, you know, any type of difficulties um, in learning the language, and then you went and started an Igbo podcast. So what started the kind of thought process behind, oh, wow, now – I'm going to take it to the mm-hmm. next level, and mm-hmm. I'm going to create a whole show around this concept. Mm-hmm. So this is multifolded, and it definitely stems from that realization that I came to of of being able to understand Igbo to a decent amount, but then being utterly incapable of speaking it. Two major, like, impetus behind it that really helped me with this specific idea for an Igbo podcast 
And one was in, at the end of undergraduate, I met a friend um, who was my age. He went to, like, a nearby school. Who was the, he, speaks, he, spoke, he speaks Igbo because he was born and raised there, came here, and went to a beautiful Ivy League school because he's just that awesome. And he randomly just messaged me, and we just started talking. And I was like, can you speak Igbo? And he said, yes. I was like, oh, you have to teach me. And, and just being able to talk to a peer I saw how much more growth I was getting. Um, and then so just like we would often WhatsApp message each other or voice note, and he would send me different voice notes, um, corrections, or I would just try and like send, even if it's a sentence a day. And it's crazy now that I've, I mean, I'm definitely still not where I want to be, but I'm definitely at least conversing with Evo. So when I listen to those old voice notes from back in like 2015, I'm like, oh my gosh, something that I could easily say now, like I could dream about saying that's how much it's in me now, I could not say then. It's incredible. So one, having a peer like teach me and the way he taught me was that he didn't just teach me vocabulary words. He would teach me things like patterns because he himself is also because he grew up speaking Igbo, obviously learned English. Then he took up Swahili in, in university and became really fluent in it. Could also speak Spanish and French. So he's like pretty amazing. So wow. because of his kind of like I guess it sounds like. <laughs> yes, and just his knowledge of language itself, the way he went about helping me learn Igbo really kind of gave me a great inclination of, like, wow, if other people could experience learning Igbo and not just, like, isolated vocabulary, but, like, different patterns that you can u- literally use. So even, if you're, even if you're saying it in the most long-winded way, the person who's listening to you could still understand you, like, you're still getting that point across, and that's, like, the biggest that's the most important thing about language is communication, and you're able to. So, so he was a huge part and still is a huge part of it. Um, then, too, was that – so I studied French in undergrad, or I studied French for a while, actually. And then when I studied abroad, um, as I mentioned before, I was in Switzerland. I was in the French-speaking part. And I realized that I could not hold a conversation. So all those, like, great grades I was getting on my test, and I could tell you what a subjunctive is, and I could tell you all these different things about French, but when it came to being able to communicate, I was not able to do that. And it made me really start thinking about language learning, like, and the complexity of it, like, how do we actually get past just, okay, I can count one, two, three to actually, this is another human being and I'm trying to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. So while in Switzerland, I got a lot better at my French. And when I was coming back to the States, I was like, I don't want to lose it. So I was like looking, I was looking around for different um, things that could help. But now I was looking around more specifically for how I felt like I wanted to learn language, so not just the textbook way. And I stumbled upon a podcast called Coffee Break French, and they have, like, a whole series, like, Coffee Break Spanish, Coffee Break Chinese, German. And so that kind of gave me the layout of how I wanted to do. Like, so I was listening to that for my French, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it would be so amazing if we had this in Igbo because it was – what I liked about it is that it didn't just teach the textbook French. It taught, like, in this circumstance, how would you use French to – to order food or how would you, like, 
if you're at work and you want to say, oh, excuse me, I need to use the bathroom and a patient or just different, it was very applicable French, which is what I don't feel like I was learning in school, which could probably be my fault. <laughs> I'm not bashing my <laughs> French instructors. But I felt like what I really liked about the podcast is that it was applicable and it wasn't things that I would just throw away, like I could actually use it. So taking those two experiences, um, I had the opportunity to go to Nigeria, or I, I created the opportunity to go to Nigeria and stay for about six months with the main goal of learning Igbo. And in that process, I actually got to put my theory to work. So with my friend who taught me about, like, how to learn language patterns and use that to speak, and then also the idea of, like, not um, not strictly learning from, like, a textbook, I was able to make, like, tremendous gains in my time in Nigeria. And even a lot of the things that my friend was trying to tell me before and explain to me about, like, the more, like, um, vowel harmony or just, like, because at the end of the day, there are certain things of language, like, textbooky that you do kind of have to know. It was all starting to make sense on its own, like, in its own practical level. Like, just in life, I would ask him, okay, so I noticed, that they said this like that and they said this like that. They seem similar, but I noticed that this changed and that changed. So why does that happen? And he was, and he was just like mind blown, like, whoa, this is what I've been trying to explain to you. Like, <laughs> but now you have like tangible examples. So <laughs> long story short, um, the experience of my friend and having him teach me patterns and then having something in mind of, that I felt like helps me with that other series made me want to create something similar for Igbo where people could actually not just learn vocabulary words or things that won't actually help them communicate, but actually learn to be able to hold a conversation. That's awesome. Super awesome. And I want to go back a little bit because you mentioned the podcast, the Coffee Break podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, first of all, when you were saying that, I was like, wow, they have Coffee Break podcast, Chinese, German, all these languages. And it reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday about someone about Duolingo. I met like three, I met a bunch of people who were like interested in languages or, and there was one guy who was like literally like coding uh, specifically, you know, uh, related to uh, sound, um, sound synthesis. And so, mm-hmm. you know, uh, one of them was like, oh yeah, you know, I, I use, cause one of them created a, um, uh, created a, a set of headphones that actually uses bone conduction. Mm-hmm. And we got into this whole conversation about Duolingo, and I was like, what languages are you learning? And uh, she was like, um, I, I'm studying German and French and Klingon. Klingon. And I was like, you know what Klingon is, right, from Star Trek? Are you serious? Yes. So Duolingo <laughs> literally has a Klingon <laughs> At teaching part of it. You could learn Klingon from Duolingo. And I was like, oh, my God. And I'm pretty sure they don't have Evo. So I'm like, oh, my goodness. So when you were saying the Coffee Break podcast has Coffee Break English, coffee, I mean, Coffee Break Spanish, Coffee Break German, Coffee Break French, Coffee Break Chinese, I was like, they probably have Coffee Break Klingon, too. Because <laughs> apparently Klingon is more relevant than African languages to some of these people. Um, so anyway, I thought that I, I just thought I just like had to share that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's super fascinating. I mean, 
from what I know of Coffee Break French, it seems like a, a international, like a European country. So I can't fault them for the language that they serve. You did say Chinese, but You did say Chinese. That just, <laughs> I did say yes, I just, they do have yes, Chinese. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, the other thing I'll say, the other thing, the other thing I wanted to bring up about, I wanted to ask you about the Coffee Break uh, podcast was, what exactly, um, what, was the, what was the format about it that struck you the most, and how were you leveraging that format for the purposes of Ajabiala? So the format that struck me the most was just how conversational it was so, and how I was able to fit it in during, like, my work breaks. I would literally fit it in when I would have breaks or sometimes if I would bike or walk to work, I would just listen to it. And each time I listened, depending on what I was able to do, sometimes it would just be listening and seeing how much of when the French was spoken, how much I could understand. If it was at a place where I could repeat out loud, it would be listening and trying to repeat it out loud and working on my pronunciation. I loved how flexible it was, and I loved that when I was listening to people conversing, I didn't feel like I was sitting in a classroom. And, again, just also that the it, – it just felt so much more applicable. Like, I felt like I could use this French. Like, it wasn't just, you know, learning the obscure, obscure word for unicorn that no one ever uses, but, like, we're going to teach it to you. <laughs> no, it was yeah. – this is how you would navigate through taking the train and doing that. And then if you want to call a taxi, and I, I just loved how applicable it was. Wow. And in terms of um, in terms of your other question about how I'm using it is that I so the format is a teacher and a student and in those episodes <laughs> in those episodes it's a repeated teacher, the same teacher and the same student, but in my episodes it's the same student, which is me, and repeated um, and different guest teachers. So I have different mm-hmm. emo like I have Igbo linguists who have done some episodes. I have some um, Igbo tutors, some people who are, they're not linguists, but they're also pretty knowledgeable. So to be a teacher on it, a guest teacher, I like do an interview and I ask certain questions to see not only if you're able to explain Igbo and your level of understanding of Igbo, but also your, the way you explain things. Because one thing that I noticed, and I mean, I think this is completely understandable because there's certain things, uh, English is my first language, and if someone was learning English, asking me certain questions, I might not be able to explain why we say run and ran as opposed to run, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there was a time someone, I'm sorry, I just wanted because right off of that point, there was a, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a time someone who speaks Igbo very fluently um, or spoke Igbo as their first language or a bit, or Igbo and Pigeon, um, was asking the question, why, what word in Igbo is like the word like in English? And I didn't understand what they were talking about and until it was elaborated. And it was, the, basically what this person was asking was, what word in Igbo means like, as in I like you, but also means like, like this is something that I like, and also means, oh. you know, all the various oh, meanings of the word like. Uh-huh. But it, though this person was saying just, just one word, that means the same, all those same likes that the English like means. And it's right, like right. that's one of those interesting features about language because 
there may not be a word like that in Igbo. You might not. You may oh, say on oh, sure. in Igbo, but you might not be able to use the same like. You may not be able to use masculine in the same way when you're saying this is like this. Instead, you'll say in Igbo, right. You wouldn't. Yeah, dika yeah. You wouldn't say all masculine this thing. So that was an interesting mm-hmm. question, and it really to me was like whoa. Like, that's really like think, a brain shift. Yeah, and I think that's, the like, what's profound about language in general, why, why it's a shame to lose any language in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I hope I don't forget the next thing that I want to say about losing languages. But I think that's incredible because one of the things that I say in, like, my introduction, introductory episode and in general with people going, um, using this, podcast to learn is that one learning the language is not just learning how to translate something word from word it's literally learning how to think a thought differently literally mm-hmm. so for yeah. example we have an episode where we teach the difference of ibu versus ed which in the english language means the exact same thing to be but for ibu there are three different verbs used to express to be there's to be as in like I am a woman, I will be a woman today, I'll be a woman tomorrow, like it's my quintessential mm-hmm. being. But then I can't say that abum 26 because I can't actually be the number 26. So in Igbo, it would be adim, that's when you use like the D. But then mm-hmm. I could also say I am here as in I'm at a place and anonga, which is like the yeah. same B changes in different ways. Yeah, it's like so. I actually, I actually, I actually learned about that uh, that quality in Ibo versus Ide in the sense that it's one is permanence. Like one is a sense. Like one talks about things that are like that is its nature. That is its state. exactly. Like it's, it will exactly. always be that way. And Ide is more for like the temporary. It's a quality or, of it. It's a quality. Like, it's not really like. You know, someone could be fat today and and, and skinny tomorrow. Exactly. You wouldn't say that they they're they all bull. They are fat uh, in, all, in general. Yeah. You say you know <laughs> uh, it all day something. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say all bull because ibu ibu is not that. It doesn't. It's not bull. It's not the that bull means right. um, carries a lot of weight. It doesn't mean the same bull as in a bull like. Your, that's your state. It just means carry. That's a different bull. So I will. So I. So I just want to clear that up. But but you were. But I just want to bring you back to your point because you were saying something about losing languages. So let me let you go ahead and talk on that. What you were <laughs> going to say there. Um. So I was just saying that. Yeah, I completely feel you on that, and I think that's the which is why I feel like my approach to this podcast is really different. Like I want people to, you know, participate and enjoy it, but I also. I'm going to set up different things to explain to explain to people how to utilize it. And when learning a language, I think things really change when you stop thinking of, like, translation, but then you literally start being open to thinking about the world around you differently. And there was one TED Talk that I really, really loved, and it was about languages dying. And it was really profound because it was – the woman was explaining how <laughs> – it was just so many things she was explaining – but the um, what did she say? Oh, she gave a really awesome example of the difference between like English and Spanish, and she was talking about all sorts of languages. How like one language they give the the people are very into coordinates in terms of like north, south, west, east. 
So even if you ask someone, how are you, their reply translates to a coordinate. So it's like it's very, very, wow. it's very, very different and, and interesting. But she was just saying with that type of person, when their whole world is in language, what they used to interact with the world is curated on coordinates and all these types of things. How could a person like that not be very much so aware? You drop them into like a place they've never been, not be very aware of what's north, what's south, what's east, what's west when that's the way they formulated the world around them with their language, as opposed to Mm. someone else whose language might not even have a color for black and white, you take them to a place and you ask them what's this color, they're just like, what do you mean? Because the way their interaction with this world has never really allowed them. So it's just like how language really shapes the way you think and interact with the world. And she gave this really good example, but I feel like I'm going to mess it up. But it was – just like how in the in English, especially American English, we have kind of like a fault-based way of talking about things. So like, mm-hmm. I broke it is how you would say something like something, a they spell, I think she gave the example, and because you knocked it over by accident, and so you would say, oh, I broke it. But then in, Engl- in Spanish, the way that they would describe that would be like the base broke itself type of thing. And it's kind of like it's in your language to describe something like this thing broke and you describe it as I broke it. How does that formulate your thinking or like who's at fault in the situation? Like the same event happened, like you bumped into something and it fell. But in your language, you can describe that as I broke it. In someone else's language, they describe it as the the base broke itself. Like the way that that changes the way you think about the same scenario. Yeah, yeah, I'm hearing that because I, I feel like I, I've had a conversation with someone about this before, how English, the English language is so egocentric. It's like points to the self a lot. And it's not, in a, and it's in a sense, like, like you said, like you did this. It's very, it's very a situation where you're assigning things to people as this is your kind of, this is who you are, this is your identity, this is your destiny, um, whereas if you were to speak in the language that you were just now referencing, um, there's a whole other school of thought, a whole other philosophy behind what a person has control over. And I was telling this, my, 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 it was actually my sister, that, um, that, the, that biblically the Bible uh, talks about the world from a reference point of we do not have control over anything. That ultimately it's God. Like if you really read the Bible and comb through it, uh, as opposed to the, the, the English interpretation given to you by a prosperity gospel preacher um, who will tell you that ultimately God is there to serve you and you pray for him and you, you pray to him enough, um, you'll get treasures and riches and everything and you want in this life. Um, but if you read the Bible uh, I don't mean to go into this whole like thing, but it's like just just if you read if you read the whole thing, you'll see that it's really focused on God being the one in control and you being kind of like a like a like a part of His plan. And you know you do get stuff if you ask. You know they says asking you shall receive and stuff, but it really isn't you focused. And I feel mm-hmm. like the way we speak has really created a culture of thinking that. It is us focused, whereas I, if I'm guessing, if I had to guess, I would say that the Hebrew, you know, 
uh, writings did not really have language that was focused on the person as much. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Bible talks about, like, you know, puts down selfish ambition and puts down certain types of things. And it's not necessarily focused on the community, which is another kind of core aspect of certain languages where it's focusing on the community. The Bible doesn't even focus on the community. It focuses on your relationship with mm-hmm. God ultimately. But when you see God as the whole, like, controller of everything, then you stop looking at pain, for example, or um, certain types of things that come up, which are also in the Bible. And then if you, I mean, if you, think, that, if you think that it's all about you, you're going to be confused by the parts of life or the parts of the Bible where God allows people he loves to experience pain. But if you take it off of you and you put it on God, then you realize that pain is actually a part of your existence that is inevitable and there's a lot more to that philosophy that, you know, that one who, you know, is a real, like, interested in, like, learning more of that will, will, will penetrate and try to, like, try to, like, really understand the language of the Bible and what it truly means as opposed to um, what, we, what we kind of pass around as um, cultural, you know, biblical wisdom. And even, like, the connection to it and other religions also is something that, culturally becomes influenced by our culture as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, actually considering the actual writing. Uh, last mm-hmm. note, specifically to Igbo and Igbo culture, I, I, you know, there's a lot of people who are, like, you know, wanting to go back to, like, traditional religions and traditional African religions, and they're like, they, some people actually believe that Igbo language is ultimately um, a language that focuses heavily on uh, idol worship and all these things like that. Like if you if you're gonna learn Igbo, you're gonna have to do the traditional religion. And I actually kind of come from a different kind of school of thought that um, that and I and I personally subscribe to the idea that you know it it doesn't they're not mutually exclusive. Like English Igbo language and any religion. Like you could take the language, and if you like practice Hinduism, if you like practice Scientology, um, but the language itself is it's not although there are elements of it, including Aji, as we talked about, that are affiliated with spiritual, uh, spiritual things, but you can literally talk about the spiritual side of things in Igbo language, and it will still be relevant in the sense that, um, you know, you talk about more and all these things like that, and even like Ikenga and all these various things. But um, anyway, let me let you get back to... Um, uh, you're, I think you were talking about losing languages, and I think that's where I kind of jumped in. Oh, I, that was my um, that was what I wanted to say about it. And um, okay. there's something you mentioned about learning Igbo and having the traditional. I, I mean, I personally haven't experienced anyone take it to that length. I mean, because a bunch of Igbo speakers have whatever belief system that they that they have. And I don't think, like like you were saying, you can use language to interact with anything. So your belief system, while there are different belief systems built into languages, or it can give you an idea of the thought behind that language, um, I don't think it, it means that you have to go to this or that. And I mean, I also don't think when the more that I'm learning more about Igbo traditional faith systems and stuff like that by choice, 
the more I realized, like, I don't know, it's pretty beautiful, actually. And it, mm. like, a lot of the, I don't know, basically, I don't think that learning any language has to tie you to changing or adapting any sort of religious belief. So, again, I'm still a learner. But, like, one of the – so, for example, where Islam is anchored on a moon, Christianity anchored on Christ, Igbo traditional faith is anchored on the earth. So it lives by the sanctity of the earth. So you never want to defy the sanctity of earth, which the, one of the greatest ways to do that is homicide. Mm. And uh, um, just like the idea, like they always say, so like the mm. truth is life. So that's like a huge part of like the the psyche behind things is that, like, everyone, every individual has their truth and you should live by it, which I know a lot of people <laughs> go around and talk about living their truth, and this is <laughs> the faith system of it. And I just love the fact that, like, so there's Chuku, and, again, I'm still a learner. So there's Chuku, this big God, but then there's Chi, which is, like, your personal God, which is, like, your personal spirit, your conscious, the thing that goes around with you. And I just think it's so beautiful. Like, it, it reminds me of, like, Chi is being, it is, like, almost like an angel or spirit or, like, the Holy Spirit, that thing that you navigate this world with, like, every day for the things that you do. So when you do something wrong and something's tugging on you, it's like you, you did something and your chi is telling you, you know, we know that this wasn't right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I love that. And I just also love the, the how the, like, um, ecological aspects of it, of keeping the earth clean and, and how when you look at in historically there was no poor person in Igbo land. Like everyone has food because if you believe that this earth is something to be, you know, that we all are lucky enough to be a part of and this is something that we must, you know, keep a certain type of way, then how could one person have everything of that comes from this earth and no, and other people don't have anything. So there's um, one story that was even told about how like, during, like, yam season, the people who were able to harvest yams, they would, you know, get their yams all together, and then the people who were, like, quote-unquote, like, the poor people, they would leave it out for these people to be able to freely come and take it so everyone in the community had it. And it's a part of this, like, psychosis that they had or the, I, their understanding of the world and the land. So I love stuff like that, and I, I think we would have far less problems if we thought more like that in general. That's amazing, especially that yam thing. That's really, like, yeah, we would have definitely less if there wasn't, like, this hoarding that I feel like the current, like, Western culture has encouraged, which is this hoarding. Mm -hmm. Like, we mm -hmm. have to... Like capitalism. You know, things, yeah, we have to keep things to ourselves, and, like, you, you know, everybody should pull themselves up by their bootstraps. But and the truth of the matter is not everyone, you know, can or has that opportunity to, or, you know, certain things befall other people, and so, you know, it's not easy. Um, so how um, how did you mentioned earlier that you created the opportunity for yourself to go to Nigeria and, and for the purposes of learning the language. Uh, when you say created the idea, do you just mean, you know, you took a vacation and went there, or is there some more elaborate thing to it? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who would, like, want to do that, but, like, probably don't feel like they can for various reasons or may feel intimidated to do so. Um, so is there anything you can give us insight about how that happened? 
I mean, for me, and I think everyone's life and circumstances will differ, but in terms of me using the word of, like, create was me seeing a time period that I had in my life and turning it into um, this experience. So for me, it was I was working, I graduated, graduated undergraduate and was working full-time, and I really enjoyed my job, and I had applied to schools. And in the back of my mind, I always knew, like, in general, that the time that I had between schools some way, somehow, that I wanted to make it meaningful not only to, like, what I wanted to be as a person, but who I wanted to be and who I wanted to be with someone more knowledgeable about my culture who had a better grasp of the language and just, again, how I, like, started off saying that I, I feel like my identity has always been shaped by Igbo culture, but not being able to fully engage in it. So I wanted to be a, um, a person who could have this type of conversations that we were having and have something to add to it, even as a, learn, a learner, you know? So for me, it was during that time I was considering, I knew I wanted to go to Nigeria and I knew I wanted to go and stay for a while and just figuring out how it would work. And for me, it worked out and like, God is just so good that just made every, like, when God puts something on your put something on your heart, truly, like I believe He just makes a way when it's not mm-hmm. it's bigger than you type of thing. The way everything fell into place. But for me, like I said, I was working full time, and then I was applying to graduate schools. And right before graduate school, I had I ended up getting into a school pretty quickly, which is not very likely for the program that I'm in. Not, not that it's not likely, but, like, just the way it happened for me, I, was, I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> and so when I got in, I knew that I, know I was already going to be traveling in December with my family to Nigeria just because we always would travel regularly to Nigeria, and this time we have, like, weddings and this and that. But I knew this was, like, I saw this opportunity to, like, I'm not just going to travel during this period, but I'm going to stay. And so I'm going to leave this job that I really love, which goes into the idea of creating it. Like, I had, there were certain sacrifices and decisions that I had to make, um, like leaving this job, like realizing, like, so instead of being able to do any other type of thing right before I started graduate school, making that decision that this is what I feel is worthwhile, like, with support and without support type of thing. So I, we went to Nigeria, and then I stayed longer, which my parents thought I would be staying longer, but it wasn't supposed to be as long as I stayed. So it was just kind of like that continued, I'm sorry? You stayed for, for how long now? One year? Six months. Six months, wow. Yeah, that's still mm-hmm. pretty significant. So, yeah, interesting that. And then I came back um, right in time, like, um, two months before starting graduate school to get that ready and situated. Um, but that was my experience, and I that was – it was more than I could ever have asked for, for sure. <laughs> for better and wow. for worse, but mostly for better. Really cool. So I, I, I do want to get back to that, but we've been having such a good conversation so, but I want to take a break and talk about and, and do a little activity with you where we are going to, so we'll do the activity and then we'll hop on for another maybe 15 minutes or so um, if you have the time and, uh, and we'll get back to, you know, learning more about your podcast. But I want to do a quick Igbo activity with you because, you know, I'm very passionate about Igbo language and you're on here and there's a great opportunity to like do a little bit of an Igbo exercise with you. 
So basically okay. what I want to do is um, I'm going to give you an Evo proverb. I'm going to try my best to say it in Evo, and then we're going to explain. And then um, I want you to try to translate the proverb, and um, we'll kind of try to guess what it means together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first proverb, I, you think you can do it? You think you're ready? I'm down to try. <laughs> He's I'm down to try. Okay, cool. Um, so here's the first proverb. The first proverb is, <clears throat> excuse my pronunciation, um, any fluent evil speakers out there. Okay. So the first proverb is, Orage Junye Wuramu Afo. Ora. Orage Junye Wuramu Afo. Does that make sense? So weep will fool the stomach of someone who has died. Mm, very, like, very good. So that's a literal translation. That's, yeah, um, that's a literal translation. So what could so, it mean? What could um, it mean? I feel like I, I think it, I feel like if I sleep when I'm dead, like <laughs> I can yeah. rest. Like when I'm dead, I'll I'll be able to rest all that I want to rest. <laughs> mm. So that's actually really that's actually really good because the um, literal translation according to where I got this proverb from was a dead person shall have all the sleep necessary. And I think that's, that's kind of what you're saying. Like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Like, I don't need to be resting right now because, you know, when people, you know, once you're dead, then you, you'll get all the you'll sleep you get all you the want. sleep in the like, world. Yep. So what's worth, <laughs> you know, evil what, is so funny. <laughs> exactly. So make the best of the time you have while you're here. Okay, this is a good one. It says, Ebonye dara gachia kwatoroya. Ebonye dara gachia kwatoroya. Yeah, I actually know this one. Oh, you do? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't like, I know what it means, the the weight of what it means, I don't think I fully grasp, but it's like where mm-hmm. someone has spalled their chi, which we were talking about earlier, push them down. Mm, um, yes. But I don't, like, I don't think I understand the gravity of what that means. I think for me, that will probably be once I explore more of the nature between people and their chi, um, they, it would make more sense to me. But I, I do get what it, I do know what it translates to. Yeah, so I feel like it means, when you're absolutely right, uh, the literal translation is where one fault is where his God pushed him down. Mm-hmm. And um, in my mind, I feel like that means, I mean, like we're both guessing, so I might as well. Oftentimes we think about things as like I did this and I, I messed up. And I feel like Western culture definitely takes away the spirituality of things and makes it like you fell down or you did this or you, do, you did that. But I kind of see it like each of us has that personal, because I feel like she could be not just a personal, like God in the sense of, um, you know, an idol or something like that, but really this, like, almost, like, spiritual, in a spiritual sense, the thing that controls your destiny, um, like you said, I still don't understand fully what she is. Like, this, this is she influenced by something? Like, can your destiny be changed or whatever? And, um, or is she just something that, like, controls your energies? Like, you know, like, if you do something, does she, does your she um, become more, you know, can the, can the chi redirect what you're capable of, you know? Um, when someone says where one falls is where his chi pushed him down, I feel like it's connected to the soul, 
to the idea of God and to the idea of destiny. And I feel like the person themselves, although they are participant in the falling down of the person, it's not a direct correlation between fully full, full destiny that just you know transpired. There may be a relationship between um, that person may have been moving in a particular direction that maybe their body felt was the right direction, but mm-hmm. their chi or their soul, whether they're the same thing or separate things, um, did not really 100% agree. Like a person could literally be like, oh, when I graduate from college, I'm going to go to medical school. But they try and try and try, and for five years they're applying. Like I have a friend who uh, wants to go to law school, She's literally been taking the LSAT for the past five years. Like she cannot, but she's going to keep trying. And, you know, that's not to say that she's not going to get it on, like, the seventh year. It's just to say that maybe there's some things that she personally needs to overcome because there's maybe she's not studying hard enough. Maybe she needs to learn how to study. Maybe she needs to, you know, whatever. But there's a lot of um, – and I, I'm sorry for going too, like, elaborate with this, but there's a lot of things I feel like no we as human beings – um, have to learn about like pain and suffering and overcoming certain things that uh, Western world and the prosperity that we experience doesn't always allow us to con- be conscious of all the time because a lot of things are spoon-fed to us and a lot of things are, we do get it very easily. So we're a little bit disconnected from um, the spiritual and physical reality of what it means to be human, I think. So I'm going to stop there <laughs> because I was like, I could just go on about that for too long. Um, so let me no, just, it's definitely deep. It's definitely layered. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to leave that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop with that proverb. Um, um, okay. So what is your – so what is your greatest – hope for emo people in terms of like, and how do you feel like this podcast is a part of coming to that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, realization of that hope? Mm -hmm. I would say my greatest hope for emo people is for us to stand and live in our glory, to be honest, like as a people and as a diverse people, because it's, Ebo is made out of so many different clans with of similarities that have formed what we consider to be Ebo. So there's so much diversity. Like there's, and it's it's pretty amazing. You can literally equate how one person, how two Ebo people have a conversation with each other, to how someone who's speaking Portuguese and someone who speaks Spanish can sit and have a conversation to each other. They're almost the language that they're speaking can almost be so completely distinct. They're not almost. They could are literally distinct, but each person understands each other, each other perfectly. And, like, we'll look at people who are speaking Spanish and Portuguese and we'll, like, awe at that. But Igbo people do this every single day. And I'm sure probably other ethnic groups in Nigeria as well, but I can only speak for the one that I am a part of. Um, so I just think there's so much to be proud of. There's so much to – there's so many amazing things that we do and that we create. And even when we think about history and all the things that we even have in Igbo land now where, we, where the reality is 
of it is that the Nigerian government does not support the East or Emo people and for us to still be thriving and have so much potential and do so much in Nigeria and the diaspora, my biggest hope is definitely for us to be able to stand in our glory and really like impact the world with it. And I feel like the podcast is making an effort towards this ultimately and that one, I think that by getting a better grasp of our language, it will help us better interact with our culture. And then, two, there's lots of visions that I have for where I want to take this podcast, um, ultimately with, like, book clubs of, with, of books written by Igbo authors, but then actually in Igbo or actual, like, just all sorts of things that I have in mind for where I, I see this going because I see it, like, for example, it, it brought me and you together to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. It's, it yep. can connect people and with this commonality and I think that's incredible because it's people who do all sorts of really dope and amazing things and even if you're not doing dope and amazing things you're still like a person whose thoughts and ideas can add to creating something so I feel like my biggest hope for the podcast and how I feel like it can contribute is creating this community and creating this avenue of people who are not only equipped to be able to interact more with the culture through language, but also certain things that I want to end up doing is teaching about history. I think it's really important for us to, as Igbo people, understand the true reality of, like, our current state, current state in Nigeria and how that contributes to our current state in the diaspora. I think it's really, really important um, that we really start looking at what's going on from a, a clearer lens And I think that was one of the really incredible things about my experience during that time is, like, my whole idea of all the things that I thought I wanted to do for Nigeria and just, like, oh, and I wanted to start this and that is just, like, I got a a way clearer perspective of what we're tackling. And, again, I'm still a learner, but I think having a clear perspective on what's ahead gives you a better idea of how to actually go about handling it. So that's, like, one of my greatest hopes for this podcast is to create a community of people knowledgeable enough about the culture, knowledgeable enough about the history, and, like, accurately equipped to actually tackle our issues as a people. That is awesome. And I'm very excited to to know that projects like yours are going on. And this is just amazing. Um, so where can people, if they want to find your podcast or your social media, um, where can they find it currently? So the podcast will be posted by the end of this month, November, on SoundCloud as well as iTunes by just searching Emo Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working on Spotify, but it might not happen. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the handle on Instagram is at Igbo Podcast, and that as well on Instagram. And you can also email me at igbopodcast at gmail.com. So those are currently my the ways to contact me directly about regarding the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ifunaya, for coming on the show and uh, talking to us about Aja Biala and just sharing all of your wealth of knowledge and your experience and what you 
and which in your story with us, it's it's truly an inspiring uh, story. And I look forward to other opportunities of, you know, really networking and and interfacing with you, truly. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I am really excited for all the work that you are doing. And I mentioned to you this before, your page on Bowen Science, I think, is absolutely amazing and super-duper necessary. So I, like, applaud you. I'm super thankful for it, and I am looking forward to, like, networking more and hopefully working more with you in the future. As always, blossom where you're planted. You have been listening to the African Growth Opportunities Podcast brought to you by Wudo.com. Wudo.com is your resource for Black and Evo media, merchandise, and business topics from all over the web. When search engines let you down, Wudo's got your back. Visit Wudo.com today.